God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak it into our hearts and our minds to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray also that your Holy Spirit would rest on me so that I might proclaim your word to your people this day to the glory and honor of Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we worship you and we do all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Peter continues writing here and he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. So would you like my God voice? This is my beloved Son. It's amazing that God speaks with an American accent. I just... Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just extraordinary to me. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that is a challenge to us, when you're looking at this text, I mean, Peter says, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. And Peter is challenging us in this text to, comp to invest our lives completely in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I mean, that is the challenge. And Peter himself is effectively saying in this letter, he says, listen, people, I'm about to die. And I know that I'm going to die. And, uh, and I have a sense that I'm going to be crucified upside down, which he was. Um, and, you know, I have a sense of how I'm going to die. I know that I'm going to die. And I have lived my life fully invested in this reality. Now, Peter, at the end of his life, he could have been saying, oh, by the way, you know, all that stuff we said about the resurrection didn't really happen. Uh, all that stuff about we, we said about Jesus being God, yeah, we were stretching that a bit, you know, because we all know that we have the spark of the divine inside of us. He could have said all these things, but he didn't, and he's challenging the readers of this letter to invest themselves fully in the reality of the gospel. That means as you live your life, Peter is saying you should live your life for Jesus. And that is the only way to live your life, and he's the only way that you can get to the Father, and he's the only source of salvation. And that's all well and good, but how do we know whether or not we can trust him? I mean, some people say, uh, that you can't, you know, that's just a, he had a religious agenda and he's promoting his religious agenda and, you know, and, and they say, well, it's pretty much the same as every other, every other religion. But actually, 
is that really the case? I mean, take Islam, for example. Uh, Islam, the Quran, was dictated to Muhammad by an angel. There was nobody else there. There was nobody really witnessing this. There, there was nobody to testify that everything that Muhammad encountered, everything that he saw, uh, that it really was God. And yet, how many billions of people today trust themselves fully to this reality, committing not only their natural, earthbound destiny, but their eternal destiny to that reality? Or what about Buddhism, for example? Uh, Buddhism has many, many followers around the world today, yet what we often don't realize is that Buddha's teaching wasn't committed to writing until more than 350 years and perhaps as much as 500 years after he died. His followers got together shortly after his death and they committed everything that he said apparently to memory to be passed down. And by the way, we shouldn't totally disregard that because that was very common in the ancient world. So if you dismiss that as a transmission of reality completely, then you're going to dismiss a lot of things from the ancient world, uh, including the Bible at some times, at some points. But 350 years? I mean, the people who originally committed to memory are no longer there to say, oh yes, that's exactly what he said. 350 years, maybe 500 years, five centuries. That's an extraordinary amount of time. That, that would be like somebody putting something down in writing in the early 1500s, or actually a group of people memorizing something in the early 1500s, and then writing it down in the late 1800s, and then we trust what was written down as an accurate representation of what was committed to memory 350 years earlier. And that's Buddhism. That's all, that's, that's Buddhism. How reliable is that? Are you willing to trust your eternal destiny to something that wasn't even in writing, that couldn't even be tested or verified for more than 350 years? That's extraordinary. But let's contrast that to what Peter is saying, because basically, Peter is addressing for us the issue how, why should we trust the Bible as we have it to have accurately represented not only the teachings of Jesus, but also the inspiration of God throughout history? Because the Bible was written over the course of more than a thousand years. So how can we, how can we trust that as reliable? How can we trust that as eyewitness testimony? How do we know and would we, why should we base our life, our existence, our eternal destiny on the testimony that we find in this book? And that is a fundamental issue for us as Christians. Because if we really can't believe that this is actually from God, if we really can't believe that this was actually communicated by God and faithfully represents what he wants to say to humanity and faithfully represents to us who he really is, then we are foolish beyond all people to put our destiny in this reality. So how do we trust it? And Peter is anticipating this question for us 
And Peter basically says there are three reasons why we can trust what is the testimony about Jesus. And he would later on in the last chapter, and we'll see that when we get there, he would later on actually add Paul as one of the writers of Scripture. So Peter himself testifies that what Paul is writing is also in the same category as what he's talking about here. So how do we trust it? How do we know that it's right? Well, first of all, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. We saw it. Peter, James, and John, they went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what he's talking about here, the holy mountain. That was the Mountain of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus took the three of them aside. They went up on the mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus was transfigured into a glorious white robes and everything. Moses and Elijah were there, God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, probably in Aramaic or, or Hebrew or maybe the heavenly language, which up on the Isle of Lewis, they say that's Gallic. So it could have been Gallic. You, you don't know. You don't know. But he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter says, we saw it. Jesus told us not to tell anybody at the time, but now that he's resurrected from the dead, now that he's ascended into heaven, we can tell you we were eyewitnesses even before he died, even before he rose from the dead, we were eyewitnesses and we saw him in his majesty. We saw him in his glory. And there were three of us there at the time. And by the way, if a testimony is confirmed by three or more witnesses in the ancient world, it was considered absolutely confirmed. If you had three or more witnesses testifying to the same thing, and so here's Peter, and he's saying, Peter, James, and John, the three of us saw this. Now, James by this time is, has had his head cut off. Uh, so there's at least Peter and John, but James, before his head was cut off, he could tell all, all of this. And besides all of this, they had seen the resurrection, and this is Peter writing during his lifetime. This is not Peter teaching a group of disciples and then they memorize it and 350 years later writing it down. This is Peter himself writing down the testimony within the lifetime, not only of himself, but many of the people who would have seen Jesus having resurrected from the dead. There were over 500 witnesses, according to Paul, who saw Jesus risen from the dead. And so Peter says, you can believe this because we saw it. And basically he's saying, test us in this. There are still people alive who have also seen this. There are people alive who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. There are people alive who can give testimony. Check it out. Check it out. You can depend on our testimony. That's great. So that's one of the things that Peter says, this is why you can invest your life on this. But then the question comes, but yeah, but we all know eyewitness testimony, right? It can be easily manipulated, uh, even if we believe the people. And so Peter will give you the benefit of the doubt, and, and we believe you, but tell us some more. And he says, well, okay, if you're not going to believe the eyewitness testimony, then look at the scriptures. Now, what, when he's talking about the scriptures, remember, he's talking at that time primarily about the Old Testament 
But, as we see later, he also knows about Paul, and so he believes that some of what Paul is writing is also in the category of Scripture as well. But he says, we've got the Scripture. You can look at the Scripture. Now, what's so important about the Scripture? It's that it prophesied the stuff that would happen with Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are over 200 distinct prophecies about Jesus, about who Jesus was, uh, about what he would come to do, the fact he'd be born in Bethlehem, uh, the way he was going to die, the fact that he would rise from the dead, the fact that when he was crucified on the cross, they would take off his clothes and they, they would uh, cast lots to get his clothes. Uh, all of these things were prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, even if you could try to manipulate that so that you would die in the right way, I've not met a single person that can manipulate the city in which they're going to be born. Especially when that city is miles and miles away from the place where the, that person's parents live. It would be like me saying, uh, while I'm in the womb, you know, that my parents who live in St. Louis are going to give birth to me in New York. And then just so happens that they fly to New York just right around the time that they give birth to me. I mean, that kind of thing doesn't happen. In fact, if you look at just uh, 20 of the key prophecies that are there in the Old Testament about Jesus, and you say, okay, let's take those 20 key prophecies and let's calculate the odds of those prophecies being fulfilled, it would be about like taking the United Kingdom and France, putting them together, and covering them with two pound coins about, oh, say, two feet high. So you got all over the, the total landmass, two pound coins, two feet, two feet high. You take one of those two pound coins, you paint it red, you toss it somewhere in the midst of all of that, and you find somebody who cannot see, maybe they're blindfolded, maybe they're without sight, and you put them in the middle and you say, pick one. The odds of Jesus fulfilling those prophecies are about the same as that person without sight, either blindfolded or blind, on the first two-pound coin they pick up, picking the red one. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. And that's why Peter says, okay, if you're not going to believe us in terms of our eyewitness testimony, because we saw all of this even before he died and before he rose again, we saw, we can testify who Jesus really is now. If you're not going to believe us, then believe the word that has been confirmed, the prophetic word that has been confirmed. Look at the odds over the last several hundred years of somebody fulfilling all of that. In fact, you look at just Isaiah 53. Do you know, until Jesus came and died on the cross, nobody, nobody in Jewish history really understood what Isaiah 53 meant. There were debates about it. There were discussions about it. But there was nobody that fit the bill until Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Just looking at Isaiah 53. So Peter says, believe us because we're eyewitness testimonies or believe the, the 
prophetic word that has been confirmed. You've seen it confirmed. And by the way, the third thing, just to kind of add on to this, in this prophetic word is not human in its origin. This prophetic word does not come by human creativity. It's not somebody like Isaiah deciding to sit down and say, hey, I'm going to write a big long poem to talk about my people and things like that. Doesn't happen that way, Peter says. He says all of the scripture that's been written down was written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit of God acting in and through the writers of the Scripture, uh, meaning the whole of the Old Testament, and then what we would come to know as the New Testament. It was the Holy Spirit working in them to help them, to enable them to write so that these people were actually, according to verse 21, these people were men speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that every one of them wrote in their own style. They wrote as the person that God had created them to be. But as they were writing in the different styles and the different ways, the Holy Spirit was working in them, carrying them along to make sure that what they wrote was what God wanted to say. And that is the promise. And so Peter says, believe it on the basis of the eyewitness testimony. Or... Believe it, because what was written in the prophets in the Old Testament, and by that he means the entirety of the Old Testament. Believe it, because what was written by the prophets in the Old Testament has come to pass. Or, you can believe it as well, because the only way that what was written in the Old Testament could come to pass in the way that it has is that it must have had a divine origin. It must be the Holy Spirit of God speaking through these writers to us so that we can be confirmed in what we do and how we live our lives. Peter is challenging us to invest everything in following Jesus, just as Jesus himself did. But Peter is telling us that as we do that, we can do that with confidence Confidence that we're not basing our destiny in revelations received by one person in a cave who thought it was a demon speaking to him in the first place. We can do this with the confidence not of a group of people who finally wrote down some teachings after 350 years of it being passed from mouth to mouth. We can do that with the confidence of eyewitnesses and confirmed prophecies and the action of God himself and knowing that we can invest our lives because Jesus is worth it. Father God, thank you so much for this reality. Lord, let it inspire confidence in us about who you are, about all that you're telling us to do. And let us inspire confidence not only in the message of Jesus, but also in the message of how you want us to live our lives every single day in the workplace, at home, in our churches, in our communities. And let us live our lives boldly and confidently in the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of your Son, Jesus. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.